Today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, we're going to look at the first 11 verses. Uh, you can use the Pew Bibles or the scriptures you brought with you, Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 11. As you know and are well aware of, today's Easter Sunday, Easter morning. It's the time where we are celebrating and singing and praising God for the empty tomb, for his victory over the grave, uh, for the fact that he rules and reigns on high and all the implications of that uh, for us this morning and for really all of our, our lives we celebrate the resurrection. But I want to start out before we, we dive into uh, Philippians 3 to, to say that, that the resurrection is a big deal to Christianity because without it, without resurrection, there really wouldn't be a Christianity. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have a faith. It's, it's that instrumental. It's, it's that big of a deal that Christ rose from the dead and, and did that uh, and did all those things uh, that we read about uh, in the scriptures. And, and not to take a, a deep dive and, and to go, there's a little bit more deep, Pastor, than I thought we were going to get on this Sunday morning here, but to, to, to think about the resurrection and the importance of what Christ did compared to other religions. For example, if, if you go to, uh, think, take Buddhism, for example, you go and talk to a Buddhist and you ask him about uh, Buddha and you say to him, what if, if Buddha didn't exist, would there still be Buddhism? Well, yes, there would because it's, it's not, it, that religion is not tried, tied to the attributes of Buddha. It's tied to it's the, the teaching, the philosophy of that religion. Uh, Buddha is a part of that, but it's not, it, if you disprove him, it doesn't mean you throw out all of Buddhism, so to speak. Or you take Islam, for example. If you uh, talk to somebody who believed who was a Muslim, and you said, is, is it possible that God could have uh, given uh, his final revelation to somebody else besides Muhammad? Now, there may be some back and forth uh, about that that you have with that individual, but at the end of the day, th- that Islam is not tied in, intrinsically to that individual Muhammad. He could have given that final revelation to another prophet, to, to somebody else. In other words, if, if there's no Muhammad, there's still Islam because that message is, is not tied in it's, it's not about the attributes of Muhammad. Christianity is about the attributes of Christ. It's about the person and work of Christ. Prove that there's a body still in the tomb. You have disproven Christianity, and it's in vain for us uh, to worship and, and, to, and to follow him. Uh, D.A. Carson talks about uh, the account of an Anglican bishop in Australia who was uh, being interviewed by uh, somebody from the media about uh, the resurrection, and this is how the conversation went. is very brief. Uh, what would happen, the reporter said, is suddenly the tomb of Jesus was found, and beyond reasonable objections, it really was the tomb of Jesus, and the body was still there. What would happen to your faith? Would it be destroyed? Of course not, the dear bishop replied. Jesus has risen in my heart. The problem with that answer is that he has taken Christianity outside of history. He's taken it outside the context of the New Testament. Jesus has not risen in our hearts. He has risen from the grave. He he bodily rose. He rose in real space, in real time. Paul writes some 25 years after uh, the resurrection in 1 Corinthians, he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. 
In other words, if there's no risen Christ, there is no gospel, there is no good news, there is no victory, there is no forgiveness of sins. A risen Savior is that big of a deal for us this morning. It's that powerful, if you will. And it's that power of the resurrection that we are going to spend some time on as we look at uh, this chapter, these verses from the book of Philippians. So as you're able, let's stand and read together for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Hear God's Word to us. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs, for those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless, verse 7, but whatever, we were gain, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Father God, we praise you that you would give us such a Savior, that you would give us such a ruling and reigning Savior, that nothing can defeat him, nothing can hold him back. We pray and ask in these moments that you would slow us down, that you would give us moments to ponder who you are and what you have done. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. For those of you who follow sports, you know that there is two ways to watch a sporting event, okay? This is not rocket science. You can watch it on TV, the announcers and the color and music and all things like that, or you can actually go to the game, go to the event, go to the tournament and experience the game like that. There's two ways to experience it. You're experiencing the same thing. It's the same game, but you're just seeing it in a different way. Uh, Some years ago when I was following golf more uh, consistently, or more into it, I guess you could say, uh, I was captured by the, the U.S. amateur that was going on at the time, and following it along on TV, it was uh, being played at a course that was close to where we were living at the time, and that's kind of what caught my attention. It's a match play tournament where you've got individuals paired off, and you'd kind of, kind of bracket yourself down until there's one final pairing to play in the championship and to be uh, crowned, so to speak, as the U.S. amateur. And so as it happened, uh, somebody from our church we were at gave us tickets to that, gave, us, gave me two tickets to that final event, that final round of golf. 
And it, as it also happened, my dad was in town as well, and he's a big golf fan. And so we both went to this tournament, this final round tournament. And you've probably seen, at least seen golf tournaments on TV. You know that uh, you have to, to stay inside the rope, so to speak. You can only stay in, on either side of the fairway, and you have to keep your distance. And there's only certain places you can go and walk and things like that. But for whatever reason, at this U.S. Amateur, they allowed uh, people to, to, to walk the fairway with the golfers. There was only two of them. And you could follow this, this pairing as they had this match play tournament. You could stand behind them. You could stand near them. You weren't cordoned off to, just to the sides uh, in the rough there alongside the fairway. You could watch. You could, you could see the shots that they were hitting. You could hear them talk about what club selection that they should use, about the wind and what the green's going to do if you put the ball there and so on and so forth. You, you got to experience it like they experience it. It was really unique and it was pretty cool to see. But that's another way you can experience it. You can watch a, a tournament on TV and you just got the sound effects and you, it's color and you sit in the comfort of your home. But if you go and experience an event... A, tur- a golf tournament or a sporting event, something like that, it's like you're there. It's like you you're, are connected to it on a, on a deeper level. All that to say that there's two ways to experience the resurrection of Christ. There's two ways to think about the resurrection of Christ in our lives. There's, it's, if I was to say to you, what's the resurrection? Most of you would say, well, that's easy. Jesus rose from the dead after three days, uh, and, he, and he died for our sins. That's one way to experience the resurrection of Christ, if you will. And that's important, that we know those truths, that we know those facts. But what Paul is doing in this text, he's pushing us to say, not only I want you to take that knowledge, and I want you to understand that there's the power of the resurrection that works in our lives as well. It's one thing to, to know it in our heads, but it's another thing to experience the, the power of the resurrection lived out in our midst. And it's the power of the resurrection that I want us to explore this morning. And so three points, if you will, or three questions really to ask if you're uh, taking notes, following along, what have you. Uh, the first is, what is resurrection power? What's Paul talking about? Resurrection power. What keeps us from resurrection power? What are the barriers uh, to that in our lives, and how can we know resurrection power? What is it? What keeps us from it? And how can we know or experience it? So first, what is resurrection power? Well, think about uh, the power of the resurrection in, in verse 10 as it's articulated there. Paul says, I want to know two things. I want to know him or I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. And so let's, let's break it down. We can compare those things, and it helps us understand uh, the power of the resurrection. Say you're at a, at a party, say you're at a, a social event or a gathering, and you've met somebody for the first time. You've been introduced to them, and you begin to have uh, chit-chat with them, and you discover some things about them, and you keep talking and talking and talking, and finally it's the end of the occasion or end of the event, and you go home, and you're walking out, and you say to your friend or to your spouse, and it's like, I really enjoyed meeting that person. Uh, they were fun to talk to. They were inviting. They were fun. They were winsome. What have you. you? You just want to get to know that person. In a sense, that's what Paul is saying here. 
Uh, for Paul, he has met Christ uh, on the road to Damascus. He's had that uh, conversion experience, uh, if you will, and he wants to know him more. And for Christians, we read that as knowing him more means we pray. We have a personal relationship with him. So we, we pray to him. We read our Bibles. We, we struggle with our, our sins and struggle with the inconsistencies of our lives compared to what he's called us uh, to be and to do. Uh, we are knowing him, knowing him as a person But then Paul goes on to say this. He says, I only want to know him, but I also want to know the power of his resurrection. What does he mean by that? And how is that different from knowing him personally? The power of the resurrection is the difference between knowing him and resembling him. The power of the resurrection is about resembling him. It's about change. It's about growth. It's about God working in our lives. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, uh, you become a Christian, uh, theologians will call that regeneration or the second birth or the, or the new birth, meaning that the Holy Spirit is, has come into your life and has done something, moving you from, uh, from faithlessness to, to faith, moving you uh, to knowledge of him. There's been something special that, that happens there. You've started this relationship and now that you're in that relationship, there's growth that happens. There's change that happens. There's transformation that happens. Not overnight, not within a couple of hours, but that there's a progress in your life. You're moving from how you used to live to how God wants you to live, how Christ wants you to live. You're resembling him. You become more like him. And that becoming more like him is that resurrection power that Paul is talking about here. One pastor puts it like this, or he gives this uh, example, if you will. He says that there's, there's things in the, that are going on in our lives that the Bible would basically call deadness, that there's dead things going on in our lives. And he's talking about things like anger, like lust, like worry, like selfishness, things like that. And knowing of the power of the resurrection meets those things and transforms those things. For example, with our anger, the power of the resurrection is saying, how can I deal with your anger so that you know what? Forgiveness how can, it, how can we deal with your worry so you know peace and confidence and trust? How can we deal with your selfishness and turn that into compassion and generosity? The power of resurrection says this is how you can be more humble like Christ. This is how you can be more courageous like Christ. This is how you can be more bold like Christ. This is how you can be more compassionate like Christ. The power of the resurrection is about change, about growth, about transformation, if you will. And if that's the power of the resurrection, before we get to how we maybe um, enable that to become part of our lives more consistently, uh, let's think about what keeps us from that power of the resurrection in our lives. And for this, I'm, I'm using the, 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 the context of this passage to, to answer that question. Basically, what keeps us from the resurrection power are all the things that we should be counting as loss are all the things that we should be counting as loss. To use Paul's language here, it, it just stick with me. It'll make sense here in a moment. You look at what Paul says in verses 4 through 6, and it's like he's saying, this is my resume, so to speak. This is my spiritual or religious resume that I could present to God. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless is how he declares himself. 
And so he's declaring, this is my resume. These are the things I've counted as loss. And you think about the first half of it is his birth resume. This is who I come from. I'm a Hebrew. I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, that there is purity to my Hebrewness. It's, I don't come from a mixed race, but purely come uh, as a Hebrew. I was circumcised. I belong to the nation of Israel. And then he begins to articulate some of the choices, you could say, that he makes that makes his religious resume so glorious and so special. He declares himself as a Pharisee. That may not mean much to us today, but to be a Pharisee back in the day was to be one of the heroes of the Jewish faith because you were intent on keeping the law and keeping the purity of law and making sure that's passed on. He's such a man with conviction. He has so much conviction that he's out there persecuting the church. He's not just like, well, talking bad about these Christians out there, but he's out there initiating um, responses to them in light of what they are doing. He's out there persecuting. And finally, Paul describes himself as faultless in terms of the law, that he's keeping all of the law, that he's intent on conforming his life to that law. If you wanted a religious resume, this would be it. This would be something that you would want to present to God and God say, look how acceptable I am. Look how good I am. I'm living my life in light of your word. I'm zealous. I'm excited. I'm consistent. I'm all these things. And yet Paul says, I count those things as loss. What is a resume? It, what is it? It's, it's a document or it's a piece of paper. It's something that you give to an employer and you say, this is why you should hire me. I've been educated, I've had this training, I've had this experience, I have these references. This is why you should hire me. This is why I'm acceptable to this position. We do this socially too. There's certain things we we talk about ourselves in a certain way. We present certain histories about ourselves to win other people's acceptance. It's a social resume, if you will. What is the resume that you are presenting to God what is, the, what is the documentation? What are the things that you're presenting to God saying, God, you should accept me because of these things? Because I, I really like you, because I go to church, because I give, because I'm really nice, because I'm not like that person, or because I do this in my personal life or that. That's why you should accept me. Look how serious I take you. And Paul says, I count all those things as loss. There's a movie that maybe some of you are, are familiar with. It's called Chariots of Fire. And it's about two uh, runners who are competing in the 1924 Olympic, Olympics. One of them is a Christian who loves the Lord and is running just for, for his glory and just he loves to run. The other is a, is a Jewish man named Harold Abrams who runs really to overcome prejudice. You ask him why he runs. It, it's not for the, the joy of it. But it's, he would say, it's just, I'm addicted to it. I have to run. But this is the sense in which he, he means that he's addicted to it. He's asked for a response to a question before he's about to compete in one of the, um, the meets that they're having, one of the races. And listen to how he responds. He says, contentment, I'm 24, and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't even know what, it's, what it is I'm chasing I raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide. He's talking about the, the, the race that he's about to run, that track. And he says, with, and then he says, with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. That's how he views racing. 10 lonely seconds to justify his, his existence. What's he saying? 
If I win, I'm acceptable. If I win, I'm special. If I win, I can be valued. What is it that you're presenting to God to justify your existence, to justify your worthiness? Because Paul has taken his religious resume, if you will, and he says, I, I can't, I'm not going to use that to justify my existence before God. If I do, if I pick up that resume and live my life based upon that, I'm going to miss out on knowing him and knowing the power of his resurrection in my life. So let's think about the last thing. How can we know the resurrection power that Paul talks about here? Knowing resurrection power starts with a desire for resurrection power, a desire to see God change and see God work in a powerful way. What that means is basically that if you, if you want this resurrection power, then the more time you spend with him, the more you're going to want this power. The more times you pray, the more you're going to experience resurrection power. The more you, you read the scriptures and study the Bible and, and read over it, the more this resurrection power you're going to know. The more you're obedient to him and, and walking by faith, the more that resurrection power you're going to know. I say that because Christianity is is not just a set of, of truths that we believe, but they're, they're truths that we believe, and that's important, that's, that's, that's proper, but they're truths that we put into action in our, into our lives, into who we are. And this is why Paul is saying, if, if I don't count those things as loss, if I don't count that, that religious resume as loss, then I'm not going to know the power of the resurrection. I'm not even going to be able to, to know him Paul counts those things as loss so that he can have one ambition, if you will. He can have one desire to know him and to know the power of his resurrection working. Now, when I say one ambition, do not hear you have to be fanatical. Do not hear that you have to be that type of person that's always talking about Jesus, always talking about the Bible, and all these kind of thoughts that seem weird or out of place in in conversation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have to have one ambition, to know Christ and then know the power of his resurrection working. Think about that one ambition like this. I heard a a helpful analogy that goes like this. Having Christ as your one ambition, think about the analogy of wearing glasses, Having one ambition in Christ is like wearing a pair of glasses. What do you do with glasses? Do you look at the frames? Do you look at the lenses? No, you, look, you wear them and you look through the lens. You look at your life and you look at life around you through that lens. When that relationship with your glasses, so to speak, is out of place, when they've fallen down on your nose or there's dirt all over them, and that relationship is broken, you've, you've got to look at that, that lens. You've got to look at those glasses But otherwise, you're looking through that lens. To have one ambition, to know Christ and know the power of his resurrection, is like looking, living your life, just looking at life through Christ, through the lens of Christ, letting him shape and letting him interpret, letting him give you understanding of the world around you and how you are to live and how you live in that world. It shapes you. Now, some of you think, well, I understand that. You know, that Christ in, in viewing things from his perspective is important. That makes sense. But how do I become the kind of person that, that does that, that's able to have that one ambition, that one desire? We'll go back and think about Paul. How did Paul do it? How did Paul move from having to, to having that one desire to, to know him and to know the power of his 
resurrection, to have that kind of place in his life. There's a sense in which Paul could look at his background, his resume, like we talked about, and say, I'm really proud of this. You know, I I come from a great family, uh, a great Jewish uh, religious tradition. I've done a lot of good things. And he looks at that list and he says, I count that as loss. It's hard for me to do that, but I count that as loss because now I have this ambition. Now because I have these new desires and that new desire for Christ and for his resurrection trumps or it, it, it enables me to look past all that other stuff because I want him so much. Let me close with this and we'll, we'll pray. While we were living in St. Louis and in school in St. Louis, we made the life-changing decision to get a dog, um, which I still regret even to this day. But we got this dog, and um, we wanted a black lab, and, uh, but we couldn't afford a black lab, if you know what I mean. So we got a black lab that looks like a black lab, and uh, we named him Jake. And uh, Jake was uh, a lot of fun. And that's why we picked him. I mean, how do you pick a puppy? I mean, they all look the same, and they're all cute, and it's like, I have to pick one, you know. So we picked the one that loved to play with the tennis ball and was real outgoing, and that was our mistake. And so we would, as he got older, he would, we would take him out for a walk, and um, we'd have a leash on him. But he could maneuver and wiggle in such a way at such speed where he could get out of his collar and just take off. I mean, he's like a thoroughbred. Thoroughbred, he would just go and go and go. You can't, you can't get him. And so we had to be those awful uh, dog parents that get this pinch collar uh, for him. And some of you have seen these pinch collars. That if he pulls and the leash gets, leash gets pulled, then it's going to come around tight on his neck. Well, he's indifferent to that, to be honest, because he would see these squirrels, and that's what always would set him off. He would see these squirrels. And he would have to have those squirrels. He would have to chase these squirrels. I've never seen him catch one, even when he's got loose, but he would, he would just have to have these things. And so we'd out, take him out for a walk. He'd see this squirrel, and he would pull and pull and pull. He cannot breathe. You know, he can't even bark. He's just, it just is so painful for him, yet he has to have and go after the squirrel. It won't stop him. In a sense, the dog has said, I count that as a loss. This pain is a loss compared to wanting this squirrel to know the power of the resurrection, to know the power of Christ, we've got to be willing to count things as loss because that desire for him and who he is overrides everything else. It doesn't seem uncomfortable. It doesn't seem painful. It seems worth it to know him. I think the resurrection, I think the empty tomb display for us how much he loves us, not in a passing way, not in a, a I'm, I'm thinking about you way, but I've died for you, and I've given my life for you. I've been raised for you so that you can know a life that you do not deserve, a life that you have not earned, a life that your spiritual or religious resume does not do anything for me. But I've given you my righteousness and my forgiveness and grace. What will you do with that? Let's pray together. Father God, we pray that you would instill in us a desire for you, desire that's able to look past uh, all the things we might bring to you, all the goodness, all the, the qualities about ourselves, but we would simply, sing, simply cling to you. I know that we all come from different backgrounds and different experiences and different 
uh, things that we're struggling with and, and working through, but we pray in these moments that the reality and truth of who you are would meet us and that we would know what it is, this power of resurrection that works within us. We ask in Christ's holy name. Amen.